Without further ado, let me introduce Sarah Firsty, one of our pastors who is speaking this morning. So why don't we welcome Sarah? That's such a nice, warm welcome. Thank you. I appreciate that. So for the past few weeks, first I want to clarify, I am not at staff, on staff at the Cambridge Church. You know, for the past three weeks, we've had guest speakers from our sister church in Cambridge called The Reservoir. And today, it is my pleasure to get back in the saddle after a break and speak with you today. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background before I just jump in. During the first chunk of our marriage, if you don't know, I'm married to that guy, John. We lived in a state called Colorado. For those of you East Coasters who don't know other states, let me show you a map. Colorado is the bright green rectangle there. Now, even though Colorado is a few states over from the West Coast, Colorado is greatly influenced by the West Coast. And it's kind of crazy. They take on these crazy ideas. Like, if you were to ask someone in Colorado where you can get the best hamburger, they wouldn't say Shake Shack. It's so weird. Do you know what they say? In-N-Out Burger. Can you understand that? I, I don't. But anyway, Colorado is deeply influenced by the West Coast. And a lot of people move from specifically Southern California to Colorado. And I was one of those people. So I noticed walking around Colorado in my first year living there that I could spot the people who'd moved there from Southern California because they were still wearing like their beachy, surfy kind of clothes. And I remember one friend we had in particular who all the time wore Hawaiian shirt, shorts, and flip-flops. In the winter when most of the state had on ski jackets and snow boots, my friend would stand there in the snow pretending like he wasn't cold in flip-flops and shorts. And I really like to tease my friend Brian about this because it seemed so funny to me that he didn't adjust his clothing to his new environment. And it seemed like even though Brian's body had years earlier moved to Colorado, his heart was still living on the beaches of Southern California. And you know, recently I've been wondering if in some ways, even though I make fun of Brian, I'm a little bit like him. And I'm wearing my own version of flip-flops in the snow. I was journaling a few weeks ago, uh, maybe even a few months ago, when I started to make this realization. Here's a little bit of that journal entry. I wrote, I'm feeling a sense of anxiety from deep within. I'm startled by it, its depth and persistence. God, what do you have to say about this? And I sat there for a moment, and in my mind, I imagined God saying this. Change is here. 
There's a new thing inside of you and it needs to be tended. Ignoring or fixing isn't the same as tending. Ignoring and fixing brings stress and worry. Tending brings life and growth. This is your season of tending. So I paused for a moment after writing that, and I read it again. And these words really struck me. They seemed really true, that there was something, there was some gift there that God was giving me. Because my first response to change happening in my life is to ignore it, to go on my happy way and try to distract myself so that I won't think about it. And then when that doesn't work, I move to deal with the anxiety brought about by the change with trying to fix it. By trying to come up with some plan in my mind that would minimize the impact that that change will have in my life. Do you ever do that? When change is coming, how do you deal with it? And after this journaling time, I really felt like my way forward through this change is not to ignore or fix, but to tend. Not just a morning of journaling or a week, but for a season to walk with God through my internal garden, to explore my worries, my fears, my hopes, my frustrations. Trusting God is lovingly guiding me to a new place. And I wonder if I'm not the only one in a season of tending. And if tending isn't your season, what season are you in? It's easier to navigate life and to see what God is up to when you can identify the season you're in. There's a familiar passage from the Bible that we're going to get to in a moment. But first, I have a trivia question for you. Which U.S. song has the honor of the oldest lyrics? That's a good one, right? Can we hear it? Do you know what it is? Yeah, this is. Does this sound familiar? 1965 band called The Birds. To everything there is a season. Thank you, Jamie. That was lovely. Okay. These lyrics are about 2,500 years old, and they sound pretty hippie-ish. But they're actually part of a deep well of wisdom literature in the Bible. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8. Let's read a version of that. For everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. There is a time to be born and a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to pull up plants. There's a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to destroy and a time to build. 
There's a time to cry and a time to laugh. There's a time to be sad and a time to dance with joy. There's a time to throw weapons down and a time to pick them up. There's a time to hug someone and a time to stop holding so tightly. There's a time to look for something and a time to consider it lost. There's a time to keep things and a time to throw things away. There's a time to tear cloth and a time to sew it. There's a time to be silent and a time to speak. There's a time for love and a time to hate. There's a time for war and a time for peace. This sacred list represents seasons and important matters of our lives. Some are happy, others sad. Some are productive while others actually seem wasteful. Some inspire peace, others bring pain. These verses are a reminder that life doesn't stay the same. Changes, many, many changes are a part of our existence. Whatever season you're in, it involves change. And the wisdom of this passage isn't that life changes, because we know that. The wisdom is allowing our lives to change and discovering God's life-giving invitation in the midst of the change. In times of loss, in times of disappointment, in times of adventure, and in times of toil, in times of mending, season after season after season. But we're human, so when change comes our way, resistance is the normal first response. It's self-protective. And in the long run, resistance is self-destructive. With imposing change, we have a choice to resist, maybe by ignoring or fixing, or to accept. To say yes or to dig in your heels, to wear flip-flops or snow boots. But there's two things that go into seasons of change. One is, duh, change. And the other is transition. Change comes into our lives, and many, many times we have no choice. It just happens. A call into your boss's office. A health diagnosis. A birthday. A relationship starts. A relationship ends. Your favorite takeout place closes. Change happens quickly. And transition, that's a slow process because it's internal. It's what happens inside our minds when we're presented with change. So change is situational and transition is psychological and I would say deeply spiritual. My friend Brian that I mentioned had made a change. He had moved from Southern California to Colorado, but he didn't fully transition into his new life. And in many ways, he was living like he was back on the beach 
wondering why his feet were so cold. And I think many of us are like Brian at times. A change comes into our life, and then we say, Phew! Okay, glad that's over. Rip that Band-Aid off. And then we move on with our life, and we're caught off guard with inner turmoil. And we feel confused and angry, not realizing that there's a transitional process that happens in changes to a new season of life. There's an author, William Bridges. He's a Ph.D. from Brown. He wrote a best-selling book called Transitions, Making Sense of Life Stages. And he identified three stages that people go through in this transition to a new season of life. So this thing that we're going to talk about not only happens in personal life, transition also happens in different areas of life. For example, corporate life. Business people have realized you can make a change at a company, but if you don't transition your employees to accept the change, there is chaos. Have you discovered that at work? Yes. (laughs) So let's talk about those three parts of this transition. So it starts with an ending. Something happens, you know, ha, change is here or coming. I'm going to have to let go of something that, even though it's not the greatest, I know what it is. And so in that stage, we meet resistance and emotional upheaval from being forced to let go of something familiar. And during that time, we might feel like anger or blame or fear or shock or sadness, frustration, denial. And then we move into the next stage that he calls the neutral zone, the bridge between the old and the new. In some ways, we're still attached to the old, but we also have one hand into the new, and we're trying to adapt. And in this neutral zone phase, we're likely to feel anxiety, confusion, uncertainty, and impatience. From that stage, we move to and towards the new beginning, a time when we accept the change into our life. And we feel energy. We feel inspired. We feel creative. Bridges said that one of the most difficult stages to be in is this neutral zone. It's where we spend most of our time, and it's where some of us like to camp out with one hand on the old and one hand on the new. In my reflection time, I was thinking about this, and I realized that, you know, this can be a sacred time. If I invite God into that neutral zone, it becomes a season of tending. So season of tending, it sounds very vague. So I'm going to go back to my reflection time and try to explain it a little bit. So I was being called 
I felt like, by God, to not ignore or fix in response to change, but to enter a season of tending and see what God was doing in me in the midst of the change. So here's some steps that I took to figure out, hmm, how can I enter fully into a season of tending and and cooperate maybe with what God might be doing in me? So the first thing I did is I thought about ignore, fix, tend. And I asked myself, what helps me ignore? If I thought about it in vague vague ways, like I shouldn't ignore, I shouldn't fix, I should tend, I'm I'm not going to get anywhere. I need to think about it a little bit more deeply. So I asked myself that question. What helps me ignore? Now, that's going to be different for each of us, right? For me, I ignore by watching Netflix. (laughs) And I look for shows that have many seasons and many episodes. (laughs) So it feels like this endless supply. (laughs) I love that. Or... For a while, my way of ignoring was to look at tiny houses on Pinterest. I became obsessed with, like, people who built 200-square-feet homes and, you know, couldn't stand up in the bedroom but were so happy. (laughs) And then I moved on to the most, I think, disturbing thing to John, and that was I started watching people, uh, YouTube videos of people who lived in RVs full-time. I just found it so fascinating. And John was like, why do you care? You hate camping. What are you doing? But I I couldn't look away. I just kept, I kept looking. Those were things that helped me ignore. Now, are those bad things? No. But I was overusing them to ignore change in my life. So then the second question I asked myself are, what are my fixes? Hmm, that's a good one. And I thought of a lot of options. Wine and a nice meal seems to really do the trick sometimes. But you know what I really do where I spend most of my time fixing? Is coming up with scenarios in my mind. Scenarios where everything goes back to normal and everything is fine or better. And how that could happen. Over and over and over. And then when that doesn't work, my last resort, I'm sad to say, is to take the stress I'm feeling and try to put it on John. Sorry. So looking at what are my fixes was really helpful to me. Then the next question I asked myself is, well, what would tending look like? So I just started brainstorming. What are the different ways that I would tend? Uh, Journaling or a prayer practice or a Lexio Divina scripture reading or a a walk in nature or meditation or reading inspirational books. I just came up with as many things as I could. And then my last question was, what do I want to try during this season of tending? I had a big list, 
what sounded good? So I picked three things. For me, I decided, you know what, I'd like to start my day by reading the New York Times Daily Briefing and the mini crossword, and after that, I'm in a journal. And I'm going to end my day when I'm able. I love going on walks, maybe with an evening walk, and I'm going to listen to this online guided examine, a reflection of the day. I'm going to do that from Pray As You Go. That's what I'm going to try during my season of tending. So, you probably know where this is going. It's your turn. So I've I've shared my experiences. And I wonder, do you have or do you see change coming in your life? Or is change here and maybe you're in transition and processing it? Or maybe you're not fully embracing the season you're in and you're wearing fit flops, not fit flops. You'd have chummed legs if you wore fit flops, flip flops in the snow. Or maybe you just feel an increased sense of frustration, emptiness, confusion, loss of purpose, and you're just not sure what it's about. We're going to take five minutes right now to think about what God might be inviting us into. And we're going to take the time now because if we plan on doing it later, I don't think that works very well. You know, I'm, I do courses for the Gottman Institute for Relationships. When I went through their training, one thing they said is that if there's something that you really would like people to try, give them the opportunity right then. Because 90% of us never are able to find the time later. So following the Gottman advice, we're going to try this now. So we're going to take five minutes. I'm going to have some questions, these questions here. And instead of letting your reflections bounce around your brain, I'd like you to write, or maybe on your phone. That helps us to engage more fully. So let's take five minutes and pick one, or you can do them all. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully that was helpful. I do want to kind of do a little uh, short blip of... The kind of reflection that I'm talking about is a reflection where we've invited God into that reflective process. If I reflect just on my own, I can end up feeling shameful, isolated, and full of regret. But if I invite God into that reflective process, even if he's saying, you're going this way, and why don't you try that way? I feel hopeful. I feel encouraged. I feel known, and I feel loved. So I just wanted to make that little comment about the reflective process. So I think if we were to read out loud, which we're not going to do, what we wrote, we'd find that we are all in very, very different places, different stages, different seasons of life. But as a community, we're all entering a new season. Change is here. 
We have a new service time. For some of you, you may be transitioning through that still. Our founding pastor is on sabbatical. We're having some changes in our staff. And I think the tendency, at least it is for me, is to say, Phew, okay, that's over, let's just move on. But we have some tending to do. That's how we'll move forward. That's how we'll be even stronger as a community. That's how we discover God's life-giving invitation in the midst of the change. If the river is your community, I believe you have a divine invitation to this season of tending. And as your pastor and spiritual director, I encourage you to embrace it. So what could tending look like for you? I want to end today with five ideas to get you started. One is make space in your life to pray and meditate. Now, we're all very busy, and this is really hard to do. And I want to encourage you that God will work with whatever amount of time you have. If you have two minutes, that's awesome. He's going to do something amazing in two minutes. When I had kids at home who were two and four, and I had seemingly zero personal space or personal time, I went in the bathroom, locked the door, turned on the bathtub so I couldn't hear my kids screaming and pounding on the door, and just said, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. And he met me there for those two minutes. So whatever time you have, don't, don't feel bad that it's not very much. Just Give it a try and see if he'll meet you in those little minutes that you have. Another thing is to take care of yourself physically. You know, navigating change is hard work. It just is. So exercise or eat well or do something to take care of yourself. Another thing to try is to keep a daily journal. Write to God in a journal so that he's a part of that journaling process, maybe. Record your thoughts or your feelings, your insights or your experiences. When we take those thoughts up here and then put them on paper, it's easier to process them and see what's going on in our lives and our hearts and what God might be doing. Another thing you could try is spiritual direction. I, I, I meet with people for spiritual direction. I love it. It's free. It's very little required of you. I just ask questions, and we have a lovely conversation. If you're interested in that, there's a brochure back there, or you can mark your connection card. And then my last suggestion is to try this prayer for a season of tending. Jesus, let me abandon my fear, embrace your love, and be transformed by your grace. I'd like to pray that over us as a community as we close. God, as we, as a community, are in a time of change and transition, 
I ask that you would empower us to abandon our fears, to embrace your love, and be transformed by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.